Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. Right? He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writers. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers... Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself and <laughs> asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. It is one of the great sports days on the calendar. We have made it. It is Selection Sunday. The bracket reveal for the 68-team field for the NCAA tournament will be revealed tonight. Cannot wait to see what happens. We're going to see where Loyola Chicago ends up in the NCAA tournament. They're going to be probably a double-digit seed. I'm guessing somewhere around there. I've got a couple bracketology projections I'm going to share with you. We're going to recap last week's championship game as well. Here on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM, I'm your host Nick Schultz. Awesome to be back with you back in my normal studio. Had an absolute blast last week doing the show live from Arch Madness. And I thank again the Missouri Valley for helping make that happen. That was so much fun. And I really enjoyed the show. You can check out the podcast as well, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Back to normal this week in my normal studio here in Dwight, Illinois. And yeah, we've got Selection Sunday here because Loyola, there's no more questions. We don't have to ask what the at-large chances are. We don't have to ask if they're going to be nervous watching the Selection Show tonight, which starts at 5 o'clock. We know that Loyola is going to be in the tournament. They earned the automatic bid last week. Final score of the Arch Madness Championship, Loyola 64, Drake 58. That was a closer game than I thought it was going to be. I really thought that Loyola was going to have an easier time, and Drake came out fast. I mean, they came out really fast, took a lead early. But I told someone right before the game, right after I did the show, they were asking me, like, what are Drake's chances here? I told them Drake wouldn't make it a half. They didn't make it a half because Loyola went on a 19-0 run in the first half to take the lead, and they never gave up that lead. Looked like Drake would maybe start clawing its way back, but Loyola had an answer every time. And that was an awesome game. The Arch Madness Championship never seems to disappoint. And I did some research to confirm. Remember last week, I told you about Loyola's path to the Arch Madness Championship game? I told you if, if memory served, because I was there in 2018, I know for a fact that Loyola played the team that played in the 8:30 game on Friday in the quarterfinals. And then semifinal game on Saturday, I told you I was pretty sure they went to overtime. I went and looked. 
it did, in fact, go to overtime in 2018 in the semifinals. So it was Illinois State was the opponent. 8.30 game Friday, overtime on Saturday, championship Sunday. This time around, four years later, Drake, 8.30 game on Friday, overtime on Saturday, and then they lost in the championship to Loyola. The only difference this time around is Loyola was a number four seed this year. Remember, I told you they were the best four seed in tournament history, and that proved to be true. And then, obviously, in 2018, they were the number one seed. If anyone wants to chime in on the conversation, by the way, the Twitter DMs and tweets are open at Nick Schultz underscore seven. I really, really wish I could take calls. But we're just going to keep doing it the way we've been doing. Chime in via Twitter at Nick Schultz underscore seven. So that means Loyola locked up the automatic bid. Third Arch Madness title in five years. Hey, I've got a hot take for you, and this is going to really, you're going to want to sit down for this. Loyola's not going to three-peat as Arch Madness champions. Obviously, moving to the A-10 next year is the last time Loyola will win the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. What a way to go out. And I'm going to talk a little bit. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I want to do that after the season ends. I want to talk a little bit about the A-10 move. Nothing really new, just kind of my thoughts on where they're going to fall in the league, what pieces they're losing, what we learned at Arch Madness about what Loyola is going to look like next year. That's going to come up a little bit later, but again, I'm going to save a full A-10 quote-unquote preview for after the regular season, or after the regular season, after the season is over, after the NCAA tournament, we're going to talk a lot about the A-10 because... I say again, we got some glimpses at Arch Madness of what this team will look like. But for now, I want to go back to something else I talked about last week. I talked about Drew Valentine's candor in the press conferences. Porter Moser was always a good quote. I could always get a really good quote for my story out of Porter. Win, lose, whatever happened, Porter always had a quote mainly because he would just talk and talk and talk, and there's always something in there. And that's not a bad thing. That's not me complaining. I mean, Porter was awesome in the press conferences, which shout out to Porter in Oklahoma for knocking off Baylor in the Big 12 tournament and then coming up one point short of making the title game. And I don't think that was a travel that they called at the end of that game because nobody had the ball, but I guess it didn't really matter because that meant time would have expired anyway. But what a win for Porter Moser in Oklahoma in the Big 12 tournament. But he was always a great quote. Drew Valentine is a different kind of great quote in that I don't want to say he doesn't have a filter because he does have a filter, but he's kind of more chill, I guess, and he's more willing to share his thoughts, like his raw thoughts, I feel like. And I'm going to play you a clip here that kind of proves that. So this was after the championship game. This was after the celebration. This was after they got the trophy, after he called Denzel, which was a really cool moment. I was standing right there for it. It was really, really cool. This is Drew Valentine talking about Lucas Williamson. And there is a quote in here. You'll know it. You'll know it. There's a quote in here about Lucas that I tweeted out, and it did really well on Twitter. And I want you to listen to it. Can't imagine this first year without him in this role. I can't imagine my loyal. I don't know. He probably. I'm sure. I hope he feels the same way. I hope I'm not thinking too highly of myself. But um, I can't imagine coming here and having the experience that I have had here, a part of this program, without Lucas. Um, 
from day one, I mean, summers he wouldn't leave me alone about, Coach, when can we get in the gym? Coach, when can we get in the gym from his first – from damn near his first week? And uh, we just built up a bond, built up a connection, um, more than just basketball, family for real. Um, you know, just tried to make – do everything I could to help him be successful as a player, and I will still continue to do that and do everything that I can do to provide him the best experience he can um, under my watch and my care. That's what his parents would want. And so that's my job as his coach. And um, I love him. I love it here as well. Um, but Lucas is the standard. We talk about it all the time. He just, he is. I mean, on the court, off the court, his growth and development. Should have been player of the year in the league. Whoops. Um, there it was. Obviously, Defensive Player of the Year still, I mean, still should be Naismith Defensive Player of the Year. Um, yeah, can't say enough great things about Lucas, and he deserves all, all everything he gets because he's so high character of a person, and he works his ass off. Yeah, that quote about should have been Player of the Year. Now, I know there were people, and I really got to quit going down these rabbit holes because I do this all the time to a fault, even though I tell people not to do it. People on Twitter, mainly Northern Iowa fans, were not real happy about that remark, saying that Drew Valentine was bringing down A.J. Green. Well, it'd be one thing if he said that, if he said A.J. didn't deserve it, if he'd have named A.J. All Drew's doing is standing up for his guy. And I thought that was candid. And I don't know if I don't know if that I don't know if that was necessarily knocking down another player because if he'd have called AJ out, I'm changing my tune entirely. I think that was Drew after a championship, after his first championship as a head coach. He's a first time head coach. That was him just being a little overconfident as I drop my pen here. Just him being a little overconfident in the press conference, which, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I like the swagger. That's what Drew brings. He brings swagger to this team. You see the shoe game. You see the way they carry themselves. And I I don't think he meant any intention there. I don't think that was his intention to bring down A.J. Green. I think he was just there. Lucas was right next to him. And I think that was Drew standing up for his guy because he thought he should have been player of the year. And I laid out the argument for you. After the Northern Iowa loss, when Northern Iowa beat Loyola, in the statistical categories, Lucas Williamson had a better year all around. A.J. Green is a pure scorer, which is not a bad thing. But as precedent showed us, the best player on the winning team wins the Larry Bird Trophy. Well, Northern Iowa won the league. Therefore, A.J. Green won the player of the year. So that's what I think. Drew meant there. That's just me. But auto bid is locked up. There is no waiting to see if Loyola's in the tournament field. Loyola is in the tournament. Now, the question is, who will they play and where will they fall? Well, we've got a couple projections here. One of them is from Joe Lenardi, who's the bracket expert over at ESPN. He's just, he's known as Joey Brackets for a reason. In his projection, which I have up right in front of me, this is fresh, this is from this morning, after Virginia Tech beat Duke last night to get the ACC's auto bid and shake things up. That was awesome. Shout out to my guy Hunter Hodes, by the way. 
He uh, is a Virginia Tech alum. So he's one of, I think he's the only Virginia Tech grad I know. So shout out to all the Virginia Tech fans out there, especially Hunter, who I work with at Saturday Tradition. But anyway, in bracketology this morning, Loyola is in the Midwest region, and they'll take on USC in Indianapolis. This is just a projection. You want to find out who they'd play in the second round if that happens? Loyola would play the winner of number 15 seed Jacksonville State and number 2 seed Kentucky. Now, Kentucky lost yesterday to Tennessee, so Kentucky is not in the SEC championship. But that's still a really good team. And I don't think Loyola would have an answer for Oscar Shibway. But that's the projection from Joe Lenardi. My guy Eric Prisbell over at On3, he does bracketology every day here. And his projection, Loyola's an 11 seed. So say they are in the Midwest region. Based on Eric's projection, 11 seed would take on the 6 seed, which is probably Texas if it stays consistent with Joe Lenardi's projection. That would be in Milwaukee. And that would be against probably number three seed, Wisconsin. And once I get this back loaded. And probably number 14 seed, Akron. Now, the Wisconsin matchup is probably a little bit better of a matchup than Kentucky. I'm just going to be straight up and down because Kentucky has Oscar Shibway, who was just a double-double machine. And Wisconsin, they kind of come and go with Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis was Big Ten Player of the Year. And I think he deserved Big Ten Player of the Year. But he's kind of had some rough games, and when he has rough games, Wisconsin doesn't look like Wisconsin. So that's a better matchup. We'll find out for sure tonight. Uh, 5 o'clock selection show tonight? I think it's 5 p.m. now. Let me get you the channel information as well. Yes, Selection Sunday 22, 5 p.m. Central on CBS. The women's 6018 field will be at 7 o'clock Central on ESPN. The NIT Selection Show is also at 8 o'clock tonight. So that's where you can find out if, where Northern Iowa is going to play in the NIT because they won the league regular season. Therefore, they got the auto bid to the NIT. And we'll see if any other Valley teams get in. I, Drake would be fringe, I'd say. I haven't really thought that far about it. But that's what's at stake tonight. You're going to find out what's going on, what the plans are, what day Loyola is going to play, where Loyola is going to play, when Loyola is going to play, who they're going to play. If they end up in the Chicago Regional, which I think they will, if they end up in the Midwest, that's going to be very cool if they make the Sweet 16 because that's at the United Center. And some of these sites in the Midwest Regional, I mean, Fort Worth is a hall. How Portland got into the Midwest Regional, I have no idea. Milwaukee would be fun, and Indianapolis would be fun. But yeah, I don't know how Portland... Ended up in the Midwest Regional. But hey, whatever works. So Loyola, probably a double-digit seed, which, okay. This goes back to what I'm about to say about the 8-10. 
Let me give you some numbers here. I've been looking at the metrics. As of this morning, and I have them right in front of me, and I can tell you for sure that they are accurate and up-to-date. Loyola in the net, number 23 in the nation. By the way, that is 23 out of 358. And Ken Palm, 24 out of 358. So they're top 25 net and Ken Palm team. Quadrant one wins, which if you... If you're wondering what defines a quadrant one win versus a quadrant two, quadrant three, these are important when it comes time for today. So a quadrant one win. For a game to be considered Q1, which is the top tier, a home win over a top 30 team in the net, a neutral site win over a top 50 team in the net, and a road victory against a top 75 team in the net. Quadrant two is against teams ranked 31st or 75 at home. These are the victories or losses. Neutral site games against teams ranked 51st or 100. And road games against teams rated 76th or 135th in the net. It's kind of confusing. I will admit this is not necessarily simple if you're not looking at it like I am. So it's tough to convey on the radio. But that's what I'm about to tell you about. Loyola this year in quadrant one games is three and two. And those two losses, the two quadrant one losses, were Auburn, number 12, and I believe Michigan State is still considered quadrant one. Yes, Michigan State is still considered a quadrant one team. I had to look. Yes, so those two losses are those two teams. In quadrant two games, they are five and four. So overall, they're eight and six against the top two tiers in the country, three and two against the top tier. And again, that includes the losses to Auburn, okay, and Michigan State, which kind of, that was that's an interesting team this year that Tom Izzo had. And that Michigan State game went down to, it was a one-point game. And what happened was, honestly, and this is not a knock, this is just a fact, Drew Valentine got outcoached. Which has to be expected when he's going against Tom Izzo. As soon as I saw Izzo call that timeout at the end of that game to draw up the final play, I'm like, well, this is over. So they played them close. Now they knocked the doors off Arizona State. But yeah, I, I think the metrics the metrics say Loyola should not be it they should not be a double digit seed. But they are. And one of those quadrant one wins is against San Francisco, which is ahead of them in the net. San Francisco is twenty two, Loyola's twenty three. So yeah, I think the numbers the numbers say Loyola should be a single digit seed. But as we know, that's not going to happen. Another one of those wins was over Vanderbilt. Which is another really interesting team this year. So what does the Atlantic 10 have to do with this? Well, as I look at this, as I look at the bracketology projections, 
Davidson, which is interesting. Davidson is a 10 seed. So Lenari, this is, this is Joe Lenardi, and Eric at on three has him as a 10 seed too. So you've got Loyola and Davidson as 10 seeds. But I've told you where Loyola stands in the net and Ken Palm. Where does Davidson fall? Davidson is 38th in the net and 35th in Ken Palm. And based on their quality of wins, Davidson has two Quadrant 1 wins and four Quadrant 2 wins. So Davidson, in these Q1, Q2 games, is 6-4. and four. Loyola is 8-6 and six in such games, and they are higher in the metrics, yet they're still the same seed. I mean, I'm not a bracketologist. I usually try to stay away from it. Like, bracketology, to me, there's a, there's a strategy behind it. I know my, my guy Kevin Sweeney over at Sports Illustrated does this. Lenardi's unreal. Eric is, he's great with it at on three. I can't do this. So I don't claim to be a bracketologist. However, I would like to think that if Loyola was in the A-10 doing what they did this year, they're a single-digit seed. And that's assuming the non-conference schedule is the same and they had a similar record in conference play. There's a lot to assume here. But based on the success, I think they would be a single-digit seed. The Valley had a down year this year. As I go through the net rankings, Loyola, like I said, was top 25. Missouri State was the next team at 68. And going through the, the criteria that I told you about before, Drake, that victory at Arch Madness, is now a Quadrant 2 win. So that shows you the Valley had a down year this year from the metric standpoint. Therefore, things are going to be different in the tournament field. And it also goes down to the respect factor of the Valley. The Valley's been down. Atlantic 10, Atlantic 10 is a higher caliber league. They're still a mid-major. They're not going from the Valley to the Big 10 here. But the Atlantic 10 gets a little more respect. So that's where I think the A-10 is going to be a better move, and we'll find out where Davidson is seated tonight, too. Again, we've got a lot more A-10 conversation coming. I do have a question in here from Steve Timble asking, can you talk about good culture versus bad culture, thinking about Bryant, Slew, and Kent State? I really think Rambler Nation needs to be better, higher character fans, and pretty much everyone in the A-10. Now, full disclosure, I have not followed A-10 fans. I mean, I have been immersed in Power 5 this year, Big 10, Big 12, SEC, Pac-12. Who did I miss in there? Big 12? ACC, whatever. Either way, I've been immersed in Power 5 this year and the Valley. I have not seen much of A-10 Twitter. I'm sure I will next year. I'm sure I will this offseason. But I don't know much about A-10 Twitter. But, I mean, as far as Rambler Twitter goes, you know, I know Loyola Twitter is kind of an interesting place. And I feel like it's... What's the word I'm looking for here? Polarizing? 
I guess, for lack of a better phrase. I don't think that's the right word, but I'm going to go with it. It's either a love or hate. I mean, Valley fans, Valley Twitter, that's one of a kind. But I've noticed Loyola Twitter, and it's not everybody. It's not at all everybody. There's some, I follow some really good Loyola fan accounts. But there are some that I've seen that... Let me put it this way. I'm just thinking on my feet here. My freshman year, 2016-2017, that was the highest seed up to that point that Loyola had ever been at Arch Madness. They were the fifth seed, taking on Southern Illinois. And then Sean O'Brien, there's a name for you. He lit up Loyola in the tournament. Yeah, Sean O'Brien, that's a name I forgot about. I can't believe I remember that without a box score in front of me. But that was the highest seed to that point that Loyola was. Then obviously 2018, number one seed, Final Four. 2019, number one seed, NIT. 2020, well, 2020 was interesting. 2020, they were, what, the two seed, lost on quarterfinal Friday. 2021, one seed, win the tournament. 2022, four seed, win Arch Madness. 2021, obviously, Sweet 16. So there are a lot of fans, and that just comes from the nature of, I mean, my class was the last one that saw a middle-of-the-pack Valley team because even this year they finished second in the league, tied for second. They just got the four seed from tiebreakers. I think it comes down to Steve talked about being better, higher-character fans, and it's never got, I've never seen it get personal on Twitter, Loyola Twitter. I don't think I've ever seen it get personal, but it, just, it comes down to Next year, they're not going to win the A-10. So it's got to be a different mentality of, okay, they're not going to be the best team in the league. I mean, that's just a, that's just a fact. They're switching leagues. They're losing experience. And again, I'll have all this in my A-10 preview show after the season's done. But it's going to be – Rambler Twitter's got to have a different mentality. And this goes down to what I said earlier. I go down these Twitter rabbit holes and I tell people, don't go down Twitter rabbit holes. Guess what I did? I did. And some of those accounts that, and I know, I say again, Valley Twitter is a very interesting place. Like there are some hardcore fans. So yeah, it's going to come down to a very different mentality in a way. And I think higher character, Steve, is the best word there. A lot at stake tonight, Selection Sunday, coming up 5 o'clock p.m. on CBS. That's 5 p.m. Central on CBS. We'll find out where Loyola's playing in the tournament. We're going to find out the entire 68-team field. The good thing about getting the auto bid is that Loyola's not going to Dayton, so you don't have to worry about the first four. But definitely... Interested to see where they fall because when they made the final four, they were an 11 seed. Then last year, when last year they obviously made the Sweet 16, Loyola was a, when I find it again, when they beat Illinois last year, they were an eight seed. They're not going to be that high this year. But definitely interested to see what the committee decides to do with the Ramblers in the bracket for March Madness this year. 
As we come up on the bottom of the hour, I want to remind you you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University Chicago, Chicago Sound Alliance. I'm coming to you from my normal, I guess, studio now. It's only been two years. Here in Dwight, Illinois, after spending last week at the Enterprise Center, if you want to chime in on the conversation, send me a note on Twitter at NickSchultz underscore 7. I keep an eye on my tweet deck all show long. DM, reply, beat me if you want to reach me. Whatever works for you. I do have a shout-out here from Steve Timble. I love doing these. He asked if I could congratulate Luca Timble and his Ranger teammates on their NWHL championship win this morning. Congratulations to Luca and company. That's one happy-looking group. He put a picture with it. Congratulations to them on winning the NWHL championship. That's a really cool moment. Very, very cool. I'm going to pivot from the Valley here because we've talked a lot of Valley hoops over the last hour and a half of shows. Because last week we spent all hour talking about the Arch Madness Championship, which if you want to hear more about Loyola's resume and what happened during the season, you can go check that out. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to talk about the Big Ten because the Big Ten, in a word, this year has been chaos. I keep using that gif of, and it's gif, not gif, of Bill Hader saying chaos. That's exactly what the Big Ten has been this year. Number four seed Michigan out, and then Friday, I have covered now. I covered Missouri Valley tournaments. This was my sixth credential, my fifth trip down there, because last year I covered it from home. So I've covered the Missouri Valley tournament since 2017, and this was my this is my first time covering, in a way, the Power Five tournaments. So this was my first Big Ten tournament. So this is now my fourth conference tournament in three years that I've covered in some way, shape, or form. Two of those saw the top two seeds lose in the quarterfinals. And that was the Big Ten this year. Illinois fell to Indiana 65-63. Wisconsin fell to Michigan State 69-63. Indiana yesterday, that was an amazing game against Iowa. I mean, that was all-timer Jordan Bohannon onions from damn near half court. Big Ten has been crazy, but I want to talk about Illinois and Wisconsin losing and Michigan losing as well because Purdue is the top seed left, the number three seed. They're playing in the championship today against Iowa. And, yeah, we can we got to talk Illinois, obviously, because of where where we're at here, and Illinois is the the Big Ten team in the state. By the way, Big Ten championship coming up 2.30 today on CBS. That's before the selection show. But yeah, Illinois, man, that is an interesting, that's a very interesting situation they've got there. Because you got Kofi Coburn, who is just impossible to stop. You've got Andre Curbelo, who's turning into a magician of, of sorts. Alfonso Plummer is lights out from three. I want to say he holds the program record number two in the program, and I think number three. I could be wrong on that, but I know he's top in the program in three-pointers in a single game. Oh, and by the way, he did all that this year because he transferred this year. So Illinois, that's a that's just a... They need a guy who can step up in big moments, make the big play, and close out the games. The guy they're looking for is Iota Sumu, who's playing pretty well for the Bulls. 
you know, Trent Frazier, this is now the second game that I can remember where he did something he probably shouldn't have. Let's go back a couple weeks against, I think it was Michigan, where he was driving to the basket, went and instead of going up for the shot, which he would have been fouled, he went to make a pass, which he did get fouled, but you couldn't tell based on the amount of bodies down there and where the referees were. Therefore, it went out of bounds. Michigan won the game. Yesterday, he, I don't know what he was trying to do. I don't know if it was a miscommunication. It had to have been because he went to pass it, and at least according to his Twitter, it ended up in Jeremy Warner's hands. Jeremy covers Illinois for 24-7 in the Illini Enquirer. But yeah, that Illinois team, I last year we talked about that group being like a national championship caliber team, and I mean I think they were. You had Io Desumu, who was the star of that team. You had Kofi Coburn down low. You could get beaten multiple ways there. You still had Trent Frazier. They had weapons, and this year you take Io out of there, and it seems like I don't want to say they lost that veteran presence because Trent Frazier's been around now for what feels like ten years. So, yeah, that group, that loss on Friday, oof. And Indiana, what a story. I mean, Mike Woodson comes in, never been a head coach at the college level, at a, and now he's at his alma mater. They were not in the March Madness picture. Lenardi has them as an 11 seed. As does Eric at on three. Yeah, what a story Indiana is, and the reason they're there is because they beat Illinois. And looking at the metrics, Illinois, number 15 in the net and number 17 in Kenpom. So the Illini, that's just they're an enigma this year. You know, and I don't know if Kofi, if Kofi's coming back for another year, because I think he does have one more year of eligibility left because of the COVID year, if he wants it, or he can go test the NBA draft. I think Andre Curbelo can be special. You just got to worry about the decision-making. And he, oh, man, he had that one play where he, what did he do? He had, a, he put it behind his back and then bounced past to Coleman Hawkins down low. And Hawkins got fouled. Otherwise, it would have been a really cool play. But if Kofi moves on, I think Illinois is going to be fine because I think Coleman Hawkins is the real deal. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be – it's going to change that offense a little bit because he's he's a little bit more – how do I put it? I don't know how to put it without just saying he has more range than Kofi. How's that? You know, I think they're going to be fine if Kofi ends up going to the NBA and staying in the NBA because last year, remember, he, he tested the draft, he backed out of the draft, tested the transfer portal, and then went back to Illinois. So I don't know what he's going to do this year. we got a long way to go before we start worrying about that. For what it's worth, by the way, Illinois is a four-seed in Lenardi's Bracketology playing in the Philadelphia, the East region. And I think Eric has them as a four as well. He does. So on three has them as a four-seed as well. So yeah, that, Illinois, I don't know what they're going to do in the tournament. I mean, I think they're sealing... Probably Sweet 16. 
I mean, that, that's my guess. I would put them best case scenario, Sweet 16. But I don't think they're going to go farther than that. Because that, that's a beatable group. I was telling somebody, I think it was yesterday, day before. I think it was Friday. Yeah, it was Friday, right before the game. I was telling, I was telling somebody, that's a beatable team. Because all you have to do, and I don't know if this is necessarily what happened yesterday. I was, I had, or Friday, I had SEC tournament detail that day, which meant I had to write about Texas A&M beating Auburn, which was insane. Anyway, the way to beat Illinois is just get Kofi Coburn in foul trouble and make Curbelo turn it over. And that's why I, I don't think they're going to be really anything better than a Sweet 16 team. Big Ten Championship coming up today. Iowa, Indiana, Jordan Bohannon. Man, what a shot. 1.1 seconds left from almost the logo. I thought it was the logo at first glance. No, it was almost the logo. Iowa beats Indiana in a thriller. They've got Purdue today, 2.30 p.m. on CBS. That's going to be a really good game. Big Ten's going to have plenty of bids in this year's tournament. According to Lenardi, there'll be a nine-bid league, and that's only because Indiana got in. Michigan is part of the last four in. Rutgers and Indiana are the last four buys, by the way, for what it's worth. But nine bids, you've got to think one of those teams can go to the Final Four, right? You, you would think the odds are in favor of a team going to the Final Four. Well, I wish I found the clip of this, but I don't think they end up clipping it, so I have to read it to you. I wrote about this yesterday for On3. Seth Greenberg, college basketball analyst, former Virginia Tech coach. I'm sure he was a happy guy last night. He talked about the Big Ten and if any of them – if any of these teams can win a national championship. And I wanna, I'm want i going to read you his quote because I can't play you the sound because I heh, couldn't find it. He said uh, they only have three teams in the top 20 of Ken Palm, which is true, in the Ken Palm rankings, by the way, just for context before I read the rest of the quote. Iowa number 13, Purdue number 14, Illinois number 17. Anyway, he says they're going to get eight teams, now nine, in the NCAA tournament, but they don't have final four teams. I think Purdue has the best chance, and here's why Purdue has the best chance. Everyone looks at Purdue and looks at their weaknesses because it's being exposed in Big Ten play. You know why it's being exposed in Big Ten play? Because they understand who they are and what's going to give, what's going to take away. When you get into the NCAA tournament, that the team doesn't have that same understanding and feel. They haven't played against that team and Matt Painter's team for 10, 12, 15 times. So when you get into a one-and-done against a team that really doesn't have an understanding of what you really want to do, the essence of what you do, they become a tougher team to play against. Noah's Ark, two of everything. Jaden Ivey can take over a game. Every year is different, but that team is really different. Jaden Ivey, though, he's got to take over the game at the end of the game. Strong words there from Coach Seth Greenberg. And I, I think he's right. In going through the different bids from the Big Ten. I'm just going to go straight down the list here. Rutgers and Indiana, not Final Four caliber. Michigan, no. That's a weird team this year. They were, they, they've been struggling, and then Juwan Howard got suspended, and Phil Martelli took over, and they were looking really good. Juwan Howard comes back for one game, and they lose. 
Purdue, I agree. I think they're the best chance. I don't, I don't think there's a reason Purdue isn't the best team in the country this year. I mean, Matt Painter could feasibly go 12 deep if he wanted. He brought back that many guys from last year with the COVID year. We'll see what happens today against Iowa. Illinois, not Final Four caliber. I still think Sweet 16. Ohio State, maybe Sweet 16. I mean, they've got EJ Liddell, but they're still missing some guard play. So Ohio State is not Final Four caliber. Michigan State, no. Iowa, they're red hot right now, but probably not. And did I miss anybody? So no, I think I think Seth's right. Yeah, I don't think I think the only the best chance the Big Ten has if a Final Four team is Purdue. And that's because again, they should not be struggling like they are. I think on paper, they should be the best team in the country, but they're not. As far as who's going to win this thing, I have no idea. I'll probably have more of an idea when I see the bracket. Because I'm going based off projections right now and it's all about matchups. We'll find out a lot tonight. I'm going to pivot off college sports because we did get plenty of professional sports news this week. If you want to go back to college, just tweet me, DM me, whatever you want to do, and we can go back to it. But I do have to celebrate because we have reason to celebrate because baseball's back. We have baseball. I'm so happy. I seriously, I, I almost cried. I was so happy because 99 days, no free agency. The season was going to get delayed. They were canceling games and they weren't canceling games. And then they had a deadline to cancel games for real. And then they didn't do it. And then they're going to do double headers to make them up. It was a roller coaster. The lockout is over. And proud moment for me. I've, so I, I just got to brag a little bit. Baseball has always been my dream to write about. I got my first baseball byline for on three this week because we we wrote about the lockout ending. So that's just a proud moment for me, milestone in my young journalism career. But the lockout's over. That means free agency is starting. And it's starting. White Sox signed Joe Kelly to a two-year deal, and they signed Josh Harrison as well. There's your second baseman. The Cubs... Signed just this morning, old friend Jesse Chavez. He was there in 2018 briefly from the trade deadline, then went back to the Rangers. He's a non-roster invitee, but I'm guessing he'll make the team. And they also signed, they signed their shortstop. They got their shortstop, just who everyone thought it'd be. It's Andrelton Simmons. The reason I built that up is because they're in on Carlos Correa, reportedly. And John Morosi at MLB Network actually said they were in part of the group of favorites to land Carlos Correa. So that's why when Andrelton Simmons was the name that came across everyone's timeline, everyone said, oh. I don't think they're necessarily out on Correa. That's just based off tweets from Ken Rosenthal, who broke the Simmons signing. Here's the thing with Andrelton Simmons. He's a fantastic defender. Multiple-time gold glove winner. Great defender. But the problem with him is a big problem. I think I have a higher batting average 
than he does. He is not exactly great at hitting the baseball. Opening day is April 7th, though. Cannot wait for April 7th. And we're going to keep an eye on the Correa situation. That's part of the reason I'm keeping my Twitter open and I'm glued to it today. Is just waiting any moment to find out where he's going. Because I think that's the domino that has to fall before you get the Chris Bryants to sign, the Freddie Freemans to sign. There have been rumors about Anthony Rizzo coming back to the Cubs. I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, I'd be fine with it. You would not hear me complain one bit. I'd, I'd welcome that. But I think Carlos Correa is going to be the big domino to fall wherever that ends up being, whether it's Chicago, whether it's New York, wherever he's thinking about going. But seeing baseball news on my Twitter timeline again makes me so happy. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time on baseball outside of celebrating the end of the lockout because the Bears made some moves. I mean, Ryan Poles is <laughs> he's getting busy. And I did want to talk about this because I have plenty of thoughts. So it was already a busy day. The lockout ended for baseball. We're thinking, okay, cool, it's a busy news day. Then it comes across that the Bears were trading Khalil Mack to the L.A. Chargers. And I about fell out of my chair. I mean, I was kind of preparing myself for, you know, Mack's going to get traded and they're going to start maybe rebuilding in a way. But I didn't expect it to be to the Chargers, especially when I saw the return was a 2022 second-round pick, which means in this year's draft, and a sixth-rounder in next year's draft. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, you couldn't have gotten more for a guy who made three Pro Bowls in four years in Chicago? Well, the Chargers took on Mac's entire contract. So I can't complain too much about that. Especially because there are moves coming. Eddie Goldman, they tried to trade him. Ended up releasing him. That was from Adam Schefter. Tariq Cohen, he was released with an injury designation. So Tariq Cohen's gone. Mike Florio over at Pro Football Talk listed some names. Robert Quinn, Eddie Jackson, and he's Jeremiah Atachu. I mean, it sounds like I sneezed. And Nick Foles as players who could be on their way out as well. Can I tell you my crazy big can I, can I tell you my, 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 my crazy big theory here? Hear me out. Trade Robert Quinn. Get rid of Robert Quinn. And in return, get a first round pick, preferably from someone like the Colts. And then you take that first-round pick and you draft a wide receiver out of Ohio State named Chris Olave. Or if you're high enough in the draft, take Garrett Wilson. I think Olave would be the better pick because he and Fields had a better chemistry. But that's my big thought 
for Ryan Poles. I think what he's doing, and I've had to explain this to some of my friends who, like me, were big Khalil Mack fans, which I have to retire my Big Mac No Cheese shirt, or at least just wear it underneath the sweatshirt because I no longer have a Big Mac and I still have no cheese. And they were asking, what is he doing trading Khalil Mack? And what you want to do, and people have made this point on the radio as well, and I agree I agree with it wholeheartedly, and it's exactly where my mind went. You have a defensive-minded head coach. You have a potential franchise quarterback, who I still think is a franchise quarterback. Your offense is depleted. Darnell Mooney is your only returning wide receiver, and he's not a number one. I'm sorry. He's a great number two. He's not a number one. I don't think Allen Robinson's coming back. I mean, they didn't franchise tag him, and I don't think he's coming back. The offensive line is bad. It's terrible, horrible, any other adjective you want to use there. Build the offense through the draft. That's exactly what Ryan Poles said he was going to do. And when he said that at the time, the Bears had five, five first-round picks in this year's draft. Now he just acquired a sixth, and it's another second-rounder. You cannot be mad at the Bears for not having a first-round pick if you're going down this road. Because that first-round pick was traded to get Justin Fields, who's the guy you're building around. That's fine. That's fine with me. I am perfectly fine with having to find a, go out and get a first-round pick because you traded it to get the guy that you're literally building around. We're not having this conversation if the Bears don't take Justin Fields. That's why you trade a guy like Robert Quinn, who just set your franchise's single-season sacks record last year. Get a first-rounder and take a guy who we had a great connection with at Ohio State. Let me do this. I went through a couple weeks ago, and I looked at numbers from when Fields and Olave played at Ohio State together. Because Chris Olave has said he would definitely be interested in reuniting with Fields. In seven games in 2020, the two connected for 729 yards and seven touchdowns. They played in a national championship together. I think the connection there, you can have, you can have your own Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I mean, you saw what they did. They went to the Super Bowl in their first year together. And Joe Burrow was quoted in multiple press conferences saying when he's in trouble, he just throws it and says, and I, and I quote, F it. Jamar's down there somewhere. He didn't actually say the word. He actually said F it. If it's Justin Fields and Chris Olave, if Fields is in trouble, he can chuck it up there. Olave's going to catch it. They have that trust factor. They have a connection. I am perfectly fine trading Robert Quinn for a first-round pick if it means you get a guy who literally went to a national championship with Justin Fields. Eddie Jackson is another name that I think could and probably will get traded for draft capital because Ryan Poles has made it clear he wants to build through the draft. And that's the right way to go. Use, maximize Justin Fields' rookie deal. That's what the Chargers are doing. That's what gave me this thought in the first place. Justin Herbert's still on a rookie contract. They built that offense, and now they're working on the defense as he's wrapping up his rookie contract. You don't make that move for Khalil Mack. 
if you're not serious about winning and getting that defense right. Because it also reunites Khalil Mack with Brandon Staley, who was on the Bears staff in 2018. So I have no problem with this. Now, am I sad that Khalil Mack's getting traded? Yes. Because he was probably my favorite player on the team. But there are more moves coming. And as long as there is a plan, and we haven't heard from Ryan Pohl since the combine, which, listening to his press conferences, and it sounds like he's going to be more available than Ryan Pace was, which doesn't take much. I feel like Ryan Pace would come out of his, he'd come out of his, I don't want to say bunker, but he'd come out of hiding once a year, twice a year. Now I think Ryan Pohl is going to talk more, and I think we're going to find out more about this plan. Oh, did I mention that not this coming year, but next year, in 2023, the Bears will have $123 million in cap space? And that number is going to keep growing if they make these moves? This is why you have to do what I'm telling you. This is a deep wide receiver draft. I see a scenario, and again, this is my non-expert opinion. This is me looking at this as a fan. There's a reason I'm a fan. I feel like George McCaskey out here where I'm saying I'm just a football fan. But no, I see a scenario where the Bears could feasibly get Chris Olave from Ohio State and Jahan Dotson from Penn State. I'm a big Jahan Dotson fan, not just because I want to sing that Matty Fresh song about him. Same guy who did the Trace McSorley song, by the way, if you want to know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Look it up on YouTube. It'll be the best three minutes of your life. Jahan Dotson, I think, is going to be a he's going to be a high ceiling second round pick. He's not he's not in first round mock drafts, at least that I've seen. The fact that the Bears had that second round pick, I think it's number thirty eight. Go get Jahan Dotson. The fact that he can make those plays with Sean Clifford, the way that he made plays at Penn State, he can do that with Justin Fields. So that's my big conspiracy, I guess. My big plan for the Bears. Trade guys like Robert Quinn. Get a first-round pick. Go get Chris Olave. That's just me. And the fact that Ryan Pold made this move, I mean, this is his first move. Well, his first big move. Because he signed a couple guys under the radar that are like, practice squad, maybe, see what they can do, whatever. His first big swing was trading Khalil Mack, who, by the way, was Ryan Pace's crown jewel. I'm fine with it. As much as it sucks, I'm fine with it. And it sounds like there's more moves coming. Get ready for a rebuild. I prepared myself for it. It's going to be a long year at Soldier Field or Arlington Heights or wherever you want to acknowledge that the Bears play. This is just getting started. Briefly before we wrap up, and I'm going to talk about this more next weekend on my podcast, Believe in Bulls, on Wednesday. Alex Caruso is back. Alex Caruso came back last night. I cannot believe he's back this soon. Bulls defense looked really good against Cleveland. Granted, they Cleveland didn't have Jared Allen, but... Still, Bulls defense looked really good. Held him under 100 points at the first time since Caruso's injury, I believe. He's back. I think that's going to be a huge difference maker for the Bulls. Now, I'm still worried about him. 
I'm still worried about the fact that they can't beat these big teams, except they, Cleveland is a top team in the East. But yeah, I've still got my concerns. But Alex Caruso is back. I wanted to scream from the rooftop somewhere. Or since I live down in Dwight, I wanted to scream from the top of a grain elevator somewhere, which is probably the tallest buildings in town or in the country somewhere. That's big. So big week of basketball. Cannot wait. This is my favorite month of the year. Always, always has been, always will be. That's why I played the March Madness theme coming into my show this month because this is my favorite month of the year. Conference championships are wrapping up. Remember, Big Ten Championship at 2.30 today. We also had the SEC Championship, I think, at 1 o'clock. Let me look. It's Tennessee, Kentucky. Or, I'm sorry, Tennessee, Texas A&M. I'm sorry, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Kentucky lost. Oh, that game's at noon. That's in a couple minutes. 1 o'clock Eastern. So you got two really good conference championships today, Selection Sunday tonight. The first four starts Tuesday, and then things get fun on Thursday. Round of 64 tips off, and then we're off and running in the NCAA tournament. Thursday, Friday are the two best college basketball days of the year because we got games starting at like 11 o'clock. Cannot wait. So we're going to find out where Loyola's playing, who they're playing, when they're playing, all that tonight on the Selection Show. I would do a reaction, but I, I still tan bar on Sunday night, so I have to go to work tonight. So I will not be able to do like a reaction or anything. But stay tuned on Twitter. I might do something to preview that game this week. And I'm hoping to maybe be working it for on three. But either way, Loyola's going dancing. So Rambler fans dust off those dancing shoes, and you can go to the games. It's going to be great. I cannot wait to have full fan experience back at March Madness this year. I'm out of time. So thank you, thank you, everybody, for listening and following along. We're going to have a lot of March Madness content coming the next couple of weeks. We're going to keep you posted on the latest Bears moves and baseball free agency news. I'm so excited we can finally talk baseball again. See you back here next Sunday, live at 11, here on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WOUW 88.7 FM. Have an awesome week, everybody. I will see you next Sunday.